that I do. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are now tuned in to your heard radio, where life moves from the verb of your words. That's the actions of your words. It is I, your host, soon coming, Amadi. And uh, that sound, he's on a he's on a little trip, so J Bell won't be with us today. However, I do have a special guest. So raise your ears. I got Devin in the building. How you doing, Devin? Can't complain. That's right. So right now, this voice you hear, does this ring any bells to you? Does this make you feel some type of way? Raise your weapon. Yeah. What do you think about it? Where does this take you? Like, just this vibe. This is late 90s, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I mean, as it builds up, I'm thinking of like, I don't know, EDC, techno, maybe dub a little bit. Yeah, I love the vocals. I, I just, I love the gospel influence that came in in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is this Bjork? Oh, this is Dead Mouse. Dead Mouse. Okay. But he could have sampled from. Yeah, I think he's sampling from Bjork. But it's like, like Bjork is one of those that like she's full EDM, mm-hmm. but she's bringing in these vocals that just like break your heart. Yeah, it's crazy you when know? the evolution changes. I feel from just this, and then they're like, let's add some soul in this. Let's add some ad libs in this, and it just kind of brought the whole spirit out Mm -hmm. i can say i've only been to maybe one kind of techno like concert uh or dub and it was a freak night in seattle Mm -hmm. and uh freak night was just you know halloween time just you know you know and i was i was just thrown off by the culture i'd never been to a techno thing i thought it was just all about molly and Mm -hmm. i don't know just getting like on ecstasy or something but it was just so much love out like the peace sign the love sign yeah it really threw me off i was like i need to go to more of these yeah. just breaking stereotypes hey but don't get it twisted i got a time limit for this techno shit i got about 30 good minutes if not 45 and then i better hear something related to my culture <sighs> wait a minute crazy thing techno didn't come from detroit with some some brothers nonetheless keep the show going well, you know, the interesting thing about the whole scene, I mean, it's it's broken up into into different vibes, you know, dub, trance, tech, tech house, mm-hmm. uh, jungle, uh, garage, all those different, they have all their own little mini communities. But one of the things I found in the, in the early 90s when I got started in the club scene, uh, I mean, I just came because it was a safe place. Mm. And, Whoa. you know, and I had, I, I was just looking for my people. I was looking for people to hang out in New York. There's nowhere to hang out, right? Yeah. Hey, like, let, the cops are like right on you, like Johnny on the spot. Like, yeah, no, not there. Hey, and you're let, like, well, what about here? No, not there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take them there. You you just kind of hit us with a drip. So you said New York. So you're from New York, huh? Uh, originally Puerto Rico. Moved to Jersey when I was six. Okay. And then moved to New York when I was 15. So you did kindergarten or first grade in, in uh, Puerto Rico? I know. I did hanging out on the beach. Okay. Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> Puerto Rico, like, when you're young, um, when you're young, like, you're just chilling out like a little vagrant on, on the beach, hanging out with all the other boys. You're just hanging out. Okay. And then we moved to Jersey, and everything got real organized. So real quick, I have to know, 
was your sandcastle game strong on the beach? Like uh, did, my sandcastle game was strong. Yeah, my, my sandcastle kung fu was. Mm. So I'm saying you knew the right tech, like consistency with the water, with the sand. Just uh, I usually would just knock over other people's sandcastle if they're doing better than me. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that sounds like the that sounds like the life. I mean, to anyone when you think, I mean, so Puerto Rico is part of America, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a commonwealth. So originally, like, it was it was an island owned by Spain, and then during the Spanish American War, uh, Americans snatched it mm -hmm. and then basically sold it to Dole Pineapple and Domino Sugar. Whoa, and. Cause like all right, so for me, I'll be honest. Like I understand that it's part, like you said, it's a commonwealth, it's part yeah. of U.S., but it's not quite. A, it's not a state, right? But do you, do you get to vote from Puerto Rico for the president for nope. the U.S.? Nope, 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 nope. You get to pay taxes though. You get to pay taxes. You get to pay taxes, and uh, you get to follow all the laws. Okay, but you don't get to vote. But if you're Puerto Rican and you move from the island of Puerto Rico to say Jersey, then you can vote in Jersey. Okay. You're good. You're a citizen. You're a citizen. You just don't get any, you don't vote for anything other than the governor and the mayor of the island. Okay. Wow. Puerto Rico's a weird island. They have an interstate. Okay. It's an island. They have an interstate. <laughs> an interstate. How, <laughs> how big are we talking for the listeners, like, to give a scale? When you say Puerto Rico, we're talking the size of New York as a um, full state? Or? About the size of the, uh, the state of New Jersey. New Jersey. Okay. Yeah, That's yeah. not too big in the interstate. Yeah. When I was a kid, it would take us. A full day to drive from San Juan, which is the capital, uh -huh. to where we lived, which is on the west end of the island. Yeah, which is where all the hippies lived. Okay, uh, which is Guanica, and 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 over there is like where all the surfers and stuff lived. And it would take us a full day to get across. Now the interstate takes you like three hours, mm -hmm. but it, we used to take a full day to drive across over the mountain. And, oh and wow! So the interstate is like straight shortcut. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's it's odd because it's around, but mm -hmm. it's around the entire island. But because it is just so well-built infrastructure it's just really interesting if people don't tell you that infrastructure matters yeah like think about like trying to get from austin to houston through back roads yeah it would just uh, be just stop and go stop yeah, and yeah. going and like half of them are broken and you you know and like there's potholes galore and mm. and, and it's like cars trying to go down a you know a two two lane highway mm -hmm. and then you've got like the major highway and all so, of a sudden it unlocked everything so you go from the beach boys you know to the gritty new york just right in uh, that must what? have been a huge transition from being what? a beach boy to new york no we went we went from we went from puerto rico to jersey because yeah. my dad was teaching at uh, prince university oh prince so princeton so princeton, princeton Ooh, is like the where the uh where preppies were invented uh-huh yeah like, that's where the high khakis yes yeah, high yeah. khakis hand pink in the shirts. pocket yeah, uh, yeah yeah sweater around the neck exactly yeah. all that and it was culture shock galore you know i mean princeton rolls off the tongue nice like princeton you know <laughs> like, it's just nice that yeah. harvard or you know, yeah, yeah spellman yeah. yeah it's you know it's what's interesting is that like I mean, the university culture was all multicultural, mm -hmm. but I came from a culture in Puerto Rico where it was just a rainbow. Like my cousin was was African American, black, like dark mm -hmm. black. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm so pale, I freaking glow in the dark. Yeah, right. But we're cousins. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's just like this, and nobody really, you don't really think about it. You don't really like this. Everyone's just different colors and different shapes and different sizes. You don't think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And to go to Princeton where they were like. So you're Puerto Rican. Yeah, but so that so that's like Cuban, right? So you're you're a communist. 
<laughs> and I'm like, I'm six. Yeah. Like, I'm not a communist spy, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? And it was just like, I was too tan. I was, I was too tan, and I didn't wear the right clothes. Yeah, and, you had the flip-flops on. And that didn't really used to matter. Like, you know, you just wore whatever. Come as you are. Yeah, and yeah. then Princeton was my first introduction to capitalist culture. Okay. To, like, identity culture, to people putting you in a box because they think something about you yeah yeah that's off of what they see make a box know? for you and you, you have to keep climbing out of different boxes yeah up. yeah, like, yeah. with yeah. proof like proving yourself yeah like, and like oh i want to be in that box because that box has opportunity mm -hmm. whereas i was coming from like i don't know we're all gonna go to the beach and who's got the surfboard so you when know? you when you bring up boxes all right so like even like for anyone looking at you they'll just go oh you're just a white male you know mm. they won't even put in yeah. Puerto Rico, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh when it came to taking SAT tests and all these and you started seeing the box like Hispanic Latino. Oh that's what? always that's always like I, I don't even remember what like I if I ever like was was like up in court and they were like, wait, you said you were XYZ and they pulled some I guarantee you in 12 different forms, I've answered that question 12 different ways. Yeah. Because you're like, wait, am I Caucasian but Hispanic? Am I Hispanic but Caucasian? Mm -hmm. Am I Hispanic and Hispanic? Like, what am I? Like, yeah. you have no idea. And but Yo, I woke up this morning and I asked myself, I said, self, what, what am I? Self said, hmm. I said, what, who am I? What am I? Self said, you're a Mahdi. I'm like, I know I'm a Mahdi, but who is a Mahdi? Self said, you better ask somebody. No Mahdi. Everyone else, they, they got a firm understanding of who you are. Yeah. And whatever it is, you're not them. Yeah, so right. For Hispanics, I, I, I had a kid who worked for me was a Puerto Rican kid from the South Bronx. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me like, there's BX. no way you are Puerto, Puerto Rican. Rican. Yeah. There's just no way. And I'm like, mira, soy, soy Puerto uh, I like, a... I grew up on the island. Soy Boricua. Yeah, and he's sir. like, you know, and, uh, and it was just really interesting because it was like, he just couldn't take me out of that box. On the flip side, I went to school for two years down in Southern Virginia. Mm -hmm. And they all treated me like I was white. Yeah. And then at some point they found out I was Puerto Rican. Mm. And there were a bunch of kids at this school who were there on scholarship from the Boys and Girls Club. Mm -hmm. And they're all from New York. So I was friends with them. Like two Puerto Rican kids from Alphabet City area. The projects are on Alphabet City. Two African Americans from Southern Virginia from uh, Hamptons mm -hmm. area. And they were like, yo, dude, we never got it this bad. Yeah. Like the level of racism that I got hit with because they thought I was a traitor and a liar. Yeah. Because I was trying to pretend like, I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to pretend like I'm Devin. Like, I don't know what, like, I never said I was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I came here on the on the Mayflower. I never, like, I don't really understand. Like, I never thought I had to make those, those. Mm -hmm. They were like, it was real bad. Yeah. And I ended up following him to leave. Yeah, you just would, like, I was just like, peace out. This is just not. <laughs> it just wasn't healthy for your mental. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and that's at like 17, 18. Mm -hmm. So it's like. So dang, so from Jersey, right? Uh, just to kind of, what are we doing now? Because I kind of want to work our way to where you are now. Yeah, just so like uh, sure. your, so the listeners have. We like, moved. we moved to New York when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And in Jersey, when you're like a freshman in high school and you don't have you know and you're not cool enough to go to the senior parties yeah you go to the church youth group okay right? yeah 
Um, that's where everyone hangs out on Saturday. Yeah. Right? So I come into New York and I, ha- I ain't got no friends. Yeah. Uh, I don't know anybody. Uh, I go to I go to boarding school, so I don't know anybody at in, you know in New York. I don't go to school with anybody. Yeah. So I spent about a year getting over my crush of the girl behind the counter at the video store down the street <laughs> and watching every single video. <laughs> I am man. I watch your video. You like me. See, this is how simple we think as men. We don't really go in depth. It's like, look, you work at the video store. I'm going to watch all your videos and you're going to know I rocks with you. So you want to go on a date? Or nah. And or, then, so wait, did you watch videos for game? You're like, maybe if I watch videos, she'll, oh, hell yeah. she'll notice like, me. I, like, if I watch enough videos, then she'll like somehow into it that I that I dig Did that her work and, out for you? No, absolutely not. Did you get at least get her name, number? <laughs> oh, I got her name, and I actually went out for drinks with her a couple years later, and she was still completely not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Like, I kind of vaguely remember yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> But then, so then I'm like wandering around, and like, for so for a year, I just was like... I was living on my back foot. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to take control of my life. And okay. I went to Chess King. So for those of you guys who don't know what Chess King is, it is where MC Hammer shops. Okay. Okay. So it's we're talking like, about parachute pants. You're talking about parachute pants. We're talking about Eddie Lynn. Murphy, delirious kind yes, of fits. Exactly. Right. Okay. So I go to Chess King and I buy the gear. Okay. Now, the problem is, is that I don't fit the gear. Yeah. Right? So I'm wearing this blue linen blazer with shoulder pads that you could launch a helicarrier off of. <laughs> and this blue and light, dark blue and light blue linen vest, a linen blue shirt, and these uh, Kavarachis, uh, uh pants, like, like 65,000 pleats, and they're like really tight at the ankles, big, big balloon, and uh, British flag shoes. Okay. And then I just walked around new york looking for my people oh you got a conversation yeah and i'm like looking i'm looking i can't find it and then all of a sudden i walk i see this church and i'm like ah there's a lot of church youth group and there's a whole bunch of people waiting outside and i see this six foot four blonde guy girl i don't know what he Mm -hmm. she is and all these hot girls guys all hanging out front and he looks and he says you who are you with he points at me and these two hot girls like vacuum right onto me like we're with him and i'm like they're with me he's like come on in that was kenny kenny he was the doorman at limelight during disco 2000 wow and i was ushered in to the party of the century and i went from virgin to non-virgin in everything in a night wow just because of the fit that's the power of a fit and it was the create the creative center of the universe, as far as I'm concerned. So, so what inspired that fit? Was it Hammer? Like, what when you were walking in the, to get that lino and what, I what was asked I? Asked him years later because basically he was a tastemaker in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really like, in order to get in, he had to decide whether you were cool or not, and he was just like, you were one weird cat. Mm. and we look for weird cats and you were a weird cat like i was what i didn't realize is i went so far beyond uncool to nobody does that so you're cool uh, accidentally he must be doing it on purpose what a cool cat like i was like no (laughs) oh my god that's sick no and that's what's good like that's what i kind of want the listeners if you're tuning in and you're a weirdo that's what we're promoting right because 
in the sense a lot of people you know or growing up it seems you kind of lose your character trying to blend because when you're fully yourself you find that either people go they can't handle the real so they're like mm-hmm. they, they go oh you're weird and go the other way and then you try to mask yourself and blend and then yeah. until you can't anymore and then you come out evolve like you blossom 100 percent. and you know the person who i've learned that lesson multiple multiple times in different ways but mm-hmm. the person who taught me that is my sister and my brother-in-law okay like my sister went to rhode island school of design she's done art all over the world she teaches art in in university in england her husband is works at the tate modern and he's a famous uh, artist called bob and roberta smith yeah and they are the kookiest can i curse no yeah for sure yeah they're the kookiest fucks you've ever met yeah like she buys like she buys secondhand fabric from the 70s and turns it into dresses yo he like he does this performance art that's like shown at ps1 like it is just the weirdest stuff but they own their weirdness and their creativity and like they bring it out and they make it theirs in a way that i've never seen anybody else do and it's the kernel of coolness is when you just own your own own your shit yeah own your shit and And it's like when you say that i I think I was just thinking in my head, artists, they dress so cool when you own it, right? It's like, it's not, yeah. it's not something that's like, oh, you're wearing Dior or certain yeah. things, but it'd be the, yeah, like you said, the kookiest thing, or it's a, they're wearing rags with holes in it, paint stains, mm-hmm. and, but they're putting it together on purpose, and you're like, you're an artist, like, what do you do the way yeah. you're walking in? Yeah. And it's very admirable. It's really cool. I mean, I definitely adopt some of those things where it's like, no one's gonna come in with the velvet not yeah. in 2020 yeah, 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 you know yeah, yeah. you'd be bringing yeah. things out but yeah the fashion that's crazy so right now what you just told me is like the fashion what you wore brought you into the hottest party in the millennial yeah. so before we go a little deeper i just gotta know like man how did it feel in that moment when you didn't even know what you're doing and then next thing you know two girls just wrapped their arms around and you're like whoa like uh yeah they yeah. were me <laughs> well we're all we're all pattern matching beasts yeah. right like ever now since we're just we were a pro-magnet you're looking to figure out like where's the food how do i get laid how do i stay alive like what is the pattern that helps me do that mm-hmm. and that was my first pattern matching because i was pattern matching off of being a kid like where were where were friends i'm looking for friends where are friends friends are in churches i go to a church that ain't the church that I saw in Princeton. This yeah. is like a dance club. And I'm like, Whoa, a church that was, so were they giving you the word and it was dance or was it like I a speak easy kind of? It joint? was, you know, Jack's house. Okay. So like there's a house song and it's all gospel music and you should insert that song here. What case is this? Case 47289, the creation of house music. Welcome to my house. And in my house, there is only house music. So where did this begin? Your Honor, house music began in the late 1970s in Chicago at the warehouse with the legendary DJ Frankie Knuckles. No, no, no. Your Honor, house music began in the early 1980s when Chicago DJs and producers started making their own tracks. Hey, uh, uh, excuse me, everyone. According to the internet, it says house music was created in New York. No! No. No. 
Well, I, the, the scenes were inextricably linked at the beginning with Larry Levan, Paradise Squad. Order in the court, order in the court, order. Are you ready for my verdict? Yeah. I'll show it to you. Okay, okay. But it's like, like, Limelight was church. You went every week, and every week your community went, and you all you all prayed at the altar of music man and that feeling and then drugs got into it but really drugs were the spice you put on the roast the roast was delicious yeah wow whoa so we're mixing church drugs and you know the crazy thing is uh like the combination is like all right well if i'm doing drugs just to go turn up at some club right why not do it while i'm praising i know it's a paradox but mm -hmm. But well, it also it probably like, made you feel closer when you're in that state of not fully being, you know, when you're not fully sober, but then also you're in this praise mode. I can only mm -hmm. imagine what that praise felt like. Well, when like, you know, one of the things I found, the, the, I, I, I purposefully used the commonality between, other than the fact that this was in, in fact in an actual church. Yeah. But the concept of going to the club, and we used to call it church. Mm -hmm. So there was a, another, uh, there was another, uh, party called body and soul mm -hmm. and that used to be every sunday mm -hmm. and it started at 10 a.m mm. and people would go to bed at 10 o'clock at night get a good night's rest wake up at eight o'clock get some breakfast and go to the club and go there all night you go inside a club and be there all night to dance the body and soul lord and it was church because it was community it was meditation it was praying mm -hmm. it was developing a common thought around love mm -hmm. and around and around what's good in the universe it's letting go of what's bad it's putting it all in context wow that's you know a lot of like a lot of church i've i've come back to the church to a certain degree mm -hmm. uh i don't want to step on the whole dialogue here but like i've been i've been sober for five years okay and part of that is is AA. And a lot of that'll be church, and there's a church in New York, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, mm -hmm. that I go, that I was going to, and that's where I would go to my AA. And the pastor there was just so welcoming. He's like, I don't give a crap what you believe in or don't believe in. Just sit down. Yeah. Like this is about like we all find God in our own way. In your own way, yeah. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. We all experience Him in yeah. our own way. We do it in a more methodical fashion here, and if you want to do it with us, we would love to have you. So and nobody ever told me that about church, and if people had told me about that about church, I probably never would have left. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Because like, um, it's like different teaching styles, you know, like going to mm -hmm. school and you could learn math from four different people, but yep. the one that did There's it, one that gets gets it in your head. So, yeah. so when you bring in sobriety, where, what? I get me because AA always has like this connotation on it. I don't, I'm not trying to be here. Kind of like people are, I don't, I'm not trying to go to therapy. I know mm -hmm. I'm dealing with my parent issues, but I'm not, it's almost like a sense of you're fighting, I guess, your pride. But then at the end yeah. of the day, it could be something you appreciate once you actually walk through the door. What pushed you, I guess, to go through? Was it an accident like you walked in there, or was it like uh, self motivation where you're like, you know what, I know, you know, I'm mm -hmm. done with, I'm done with this club thing. And I'm, well, I was. So I walked in somebody who maybe smoked a little bit of pot, mm -hmm. you know, I had, a, you know, I, I drank a little bit at parties and yeah. stuff. But, but you weren't really. the guy that they got the babysit. Or yeah. Like yeah, 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 yeah. And I saw a culture of 
top level creativity. Everybody, like, it's every Friday, the level of creativity that you had to bring just to show up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'd be like, okay, today is uh, today is 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 horror night. Everybody's got to show up, like, with the theme, the yeah. theme, right? Mm-hmm. And then you basically were judged based off of how good your outfit was Spook. that fit that theme mm-hmm. and then oh by the way you also have to dance and you're judged based off of your dancing and at the end of the night Aye. after eight hours of dancing there'd be runway and you would go up against the fiercest drag queens in new york Yo, pose yeah. they're, and they're and if you had the balls to get up there then you better bring it because if you don't bring it they will snap you down, especially in New York. Yes. Oh, they yes. talk. They they keep it G, and oh, it's all God. love. Yeah. You you grow from the realness, not yeah. the sympathy applauses or like oh like at least you're up there. It's yeah. Like, no, 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 no. It's no, like no, you're no. bringing, you're not bringing it yeah, because bring like it. honestly, if you don't bring it, you're probably not getting in next week. So what? That, you were in the Vogue scene. Yeah. No, like I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't the Vogue, but I was. Yeah. You're like, going against Vogueers though. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's like, but I mean, like there were people who were really doing it. You're talking yeah. about like. Like Kevin Aviance, yeah, who is the queen. Kevin Aviance, if you don't know who he is, you gotta check him out. He was Kevin Aviance, and was is on the level of and Junior Vasquez were all part of that scene where Madonna came out of. Okay, right? yeah. So like Junior Vasquez mixed all of Madonna's early uh, stuff. Okay, okay. And she that's what got her to the next level of her fame. Mm-hmm. And then she said, peace out. And was like, I'm done with you. And he did a song that said, if Madonna calls, I'm not here. Yeah. I, that's Junior Vasquez. Okay. And his muse was Kevin Aviance. And Kevin Aviance every weekend would Vogue and do these whole dance things. He's, so he did, did a you song ever, sh- you said you showed up on the stage. You went up there one day to bring it. Hey, bring it. Psst, it's been brought, sis. Period. Hey, y'all was thinking it. And so was I. Continue. I, Kevin would never have let me do that. Kevin owned his stage. I would. I would never. I would get. I would get my mouth smacked. It would have been like he would have taken off his chincleta and hit me in the head with it. I got up on his stage. Respect. When it's his stage, it's his stage. But like, uh, like there were times when like we would all be we would all be dancing and Mm -hmm. but it's it's not like a, a it's not like a thing like you can't be on stage or you're on stage like. You give people the respect for the circle. You give people the respect for their what they're doing. But mm-hmm. everybody's everybody's doing their thing. Everybody's got their dance. Everybody is in the spotlight mm-hmm. and at in their own head mm-hmm. in there. And you respect that. Yeah. Like you just see people and you can like, wow, they're just going through it. They're doing they're doing a whole dance, a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's one of. 3,000 other people in this club doing exactly the same thing. Word, word. So, it's so then, like. Uh, yeah, so in relevance to that, how did that take you into meeting the, the pastor that you had told? Oh. So, so that was years, years, years later. Because what happened was I, I got into this scene and I loved it so much. I was trying to figure out how do I make this my Ikai guy? Mm-hmm. How do I make this the thing that I love, that I'm good at, that the world needs, that I can make money at? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out different ways of doing it. And I tried to be a DJ and I tried to be a party promoter and I tried to sell drugs and none of them worked. My girlfriend at the time, I was really upset because I, my, the one time I tried to sell drugs, 
I completely screwed it up mm. and I was really upset. And was, my was girlfriend it was it the weight? No, or? I basically gave away all the drugs to my friends. Yeah. <laughs> and then the drug dealer's like, Where's my money? And I'm like, uh, I don't have any money, but all my friends are super high though. It was really good stuff. Yeah. And he's like, dude, I'm not gonna break your kneecaps now, but yeah. You're never t- and I was really upset and my girlfriend at the time was like there are worse things to do than be bad at being a drug dealer, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm real glad I didn't go down that path. Word. But uh, I ended up. Um, so I, I I was doing a I was doing a party uh, I was doing a party promotion business with a friend of mine named Jace Allen, and we did a party called Obscene, mm-hmm. and we did that for several years. But the problem was was that he was a great artistic partner. Mm-hmm. and uh a lot of fun but had the business head of a of a of a cabbage got you yeah i so love him to death but it was like, more like and and that's respectable you know when running a business you have to know yeah. your strengths like he couldn't yeah, yeah, be the yeah. one running the money or the accounting or yeah something. yeah no i mean we would spend three months putting together a party mm-hmm. and we would blow it out we did this one party and it was all the theme of an airport and all of the all of the um the Flight attendants. Flight attendants were all the girls that brought the drinks and everything. Ooh, that and, sounds so fire. And like it was all we did we designed the entire club, everything. And at the end of it, and we had like about five thousand people show up. Wow. That's a, a fifty dollar door fee, right? Fifty dollar door fee. Wait, Wait like, before you go further, I mean, being someone, I threw a few events with some friends, and we called it Text Me up in Seattle. Like, Text uh-huh. Me, are you going? I just have to know fifty dollar door fee. When the nights start it starts slow like people were trickling in and you're like dang are we gonna even hit our and then did they just like snap and people are all there did you have that anxious or were they well not if you do it right not if you do it right because the thing is is that um you're adding to a list Mm -hmm. and once you have that list you can turn on that list and you know how many of the people from that list will come or not come Mm -hmm. and then you add to that the list from how many people will come to see sasha and digweed how many people will come to see Mm -hmm. johan afterglow and then you know, you know, basically, if I put together this portfolio of musicians, I'll get X amount of people. Gotcha. And then, so you and, had to call, all right, you weren't really, you guys were really doing this because I was like, that was a thing. I'd be like, dang, it's eleven. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's the thing is that we were doing it as a business. And at the 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 wake up moment for me with this guy was that we at the end of this party, I'm like, all right, cool. So how much money did we make? He's like, we broke even. I'm like, what do you mean you, we broke even? Because you're letting people in for free, huh? He's like, he's like, well, we had to let all those hot girls in for free. And, oh, by the way, um, the, all the costumes to dress all the girls like stewardesses, I had to go to this place and buy them. So that was like $4,000. And I'm like, oh, so we just worked for three months for no money? He's yeah. like, dude, we got drunk. Didn't you get laid? I got laid. Uh, and I'm like, dude, that's not how I'm doing this business. Nonprofit. And, yeah. And one of these guys that that we were quasi working with, he's like, dude, it's the art, man. It's the art. I'm like, dude, my landlord will not take it's the art as payment for rent. Yeah. All right. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you said, I won't break your knees now. <laughs> yeah. So I, so, I started, so I started really trying to focus in on the DJing. Mm-hmm. And in order to get DJ gigs, you have to go to after hours. Word. So and, wait, so you got the turntables off the rit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bam. I was like, I I studied under a bunch of really great Grand musicians. Uh, Flash? No, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, he was he was on uh, he was on ninety seven point one at the time. Yeah, but um, we were let's see, Johan Afterglow, DJ Dots, DJ Dribbler, um, 
DJ's 3PO. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, uh, so did you have the gift right away when you grabbed the turntables? Right, like man, or no, were you God, really? No, that was the problem. Is that I wasn't any good. <laughs> I really wanted to be good, um, but I just wasn't like whatever it might be. I wasn't. It was just I, a learning curve, I bet. Because some yeah. people can just kind of, you know, you ease into it. But I'm sure you're putting time in. But it was like, man, how come it's not showing? You're probably, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that you really, you really need to have. Uh, a lot of practice with the with the vinyl you need to know the song and the patterns of the song and when do these beats come in yeah, and you didn't have itunes at the time yeah 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 no this was all straight vinyl like yeah. i used to i used to rollerblade to uh to a gig and i would have 30 records in a triple five soul bag on my back mm-hmm. as i'm rollerblading through new york city traffic yeah you know and that so i mean grind it's it was a grind i mean i remember uh there was a dj dj carmelo he came in from venezuela Mm -hmm. and he uh and he used to uh every year we would have him come in and he had a uh and he would ship two big crates of his records and his music equipment and we would have to pick it up at customs and bring it in and then he would fly in and we'd have it all set up for him that's Mm -hmm. what we did every year so Mm -hmm. like three years year three it's just his equipment and we're like, oh, man, they just lost his records. We are so screwed. Yeah. And he shows up and we're like, Carmelo, man, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, they lost your records. He's like, what? no, they didn't hear. And he plops two iPods down. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, it's an iPod. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He's like, that's how I'm going to DJ. I'm like, shut up. Like you're, how are you gonna do de- what? And he j- he had it all plugged in, and he he plugged it into his laptop. Right. So we're talking about the first man to whip the aux cord out. On yeah, you. like dude, seriously, like it was like next level because it completely changed the game for him. He everybody. wasn't. You're, you're like, man, if I could have rollerbladed with just an iPod, yes, right? <laughs> it's like so anyway. But so like I'm trying to get gigs, and I'm going out late night to after hours to meet club owners, mm-hmm. and you got to stay up. You got to do some drugs to stay up to keep up. Mm-hmm. And then it became more, became less and less little spice on the roast, and more and more a little bit of roast with that spice sandwich. Yeah, and eventually you kind of, I guess, get a little lost, right? I'm oh yeah, no, not even a little. You get full on lost, and you're like, become, "Why am I here again?" Yeah, <laughs> like, no, you know exactly why you're here. Well, you're here get, to meet James because James got the, the good plug. stuff. He's the plug, you know. And it's like it's do, no longer matters that like Sasha and Digweed has come into town, and this is the first time they've they've you know they've dj'd in new york in four years mm-hmm. who cares i'm here to get some molly yeah you know and and it just completely changed the scene it completely changed me it completely changed the total approach to everything yeah. and that was kind of the beginning that was in the beginning that was the end for me because yeah. i couldn't keep it together i couldn't keep a girlfriend i couldn't keep an apartment and then i imagine like you know being going through the phase right it's not it doesn't leave a lot of room for self-awareness or reflection you know someone's like yo you're changing man you're like no you're changing you know like you're in that kind of denial state like i'm just fine look at me i'm you know and so uh my question is where did the eye-opening moment happen because that's always the toughest when someone's going you're changing you're until one Mm. day you're like did you look in the mirror and go whoa like it just actually hits you the drug moment there's two there's two Mm -hmm. um the drug moment happened uh about a year after September 11th because mm-hmm. September 11th hit 
and I was on the I was on the I was on I was on the train to go to a meeting in the Twin Towers. So I'm jumping time here because I was I'd already gotten out of being homeless mm-hmm. and I'd started my own agency by that point in time. Wow. And I was trying to sell a client in the World Trade Center. And I was on the train, on the J train, on my way there, and they stopped the J train. And I'm like, motherfucker, I'm gonna be late, man. What the J train is always, always screwed up. God damn it. And I get out and everybody's looking. I turn and I saw the second tower go down. Like in the person. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing is that my mom worked in uh my dad worked in Tower One. My mom worked in um investment services company in Jersey and she would have been um in the path train underneath tower two. Mm. So I'm like, those are my, my parents are there. I don't even remember how I got there. Next thing I know I'm in the world trade center in ground zero and I'm looking for my parents and the cops keep saying, get the fuck out. There's nobody here. Go over here. And I kept trying to sneak in to find my parents and I couldn't find them. And they finally sent me to the local hospital. I'm like looking for, Wow, looking I, through dead bodies, trying to ID my parents. Mm-hmm. Did that for three days. Mm-hmm. I finally gave up. And wow. I went home and I felt like I'd given up on my parents. I felt like if I didn't give up, they'd still be alive. And I felt giving up was letting them die. Mm-hmm. And I walked home. And I, there was th- this time, like, there was no cell phone service. I didn't have a voicemail. I get home. There's, a, like, seven voicemails from my mom and my dad. Hey, we're okay. Just want to check on you. How are you doing? three days yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just like Dude. I like so I had a complete breakdown and I tried to kill myself mm. and I ended up in the hospital for a week and I was full on doing drugs at that point mm-hmm. um, but then I couldn't do it for eight I couldn't do it for like two weeks I, I think I was there for a week or two weeks I can't remember yeah so you were going through the the you know what was it like uh, when you're detoxing and yeah your body shaking and woo. well it was what was interesting is that I think my addiction was more of a mental one. Like I had, I was going through all this crap, so I can't even tell whether it was detox or not. Yeah. But what really was an eye opener for me was that they gave me, uh, they gave me a, um, uh, antidepressant Celexa Mm -hmm. and they were like, don't drink or do anything with this. I'm like, sure. sure." (laughs) That's the first thing I'm doing when I'm getting out of here. The problem with they don't tell you is that Selexa acts like a magnifying glass on whatever you're doing. So I'd have like three drinks and I'd be trashed. I'd do a line of Coke and I'd be like out the freaking window. And, yeah. and it just made my behavior so bad mm-hmm. for like a year that basically all my friends left me. Yeah. Like it was, just, they were just like, dude, they didn't enough, recognize I you. can't, I can't even deal with you anymore. Done. Mm-hmm. And I lost everything. Mm-hmm. I full on lost everything. And then at that same point in time, over that course of that year, the dot-com crash dropped. So I had made my money doing $30,000 websites. Now nobody wanted a website. Mm. So, you know, and especially not, I was working in the music industry and the fashion industry. None of those people had any money. Mm-hmm. So like, boom, my business went away and all my friends went away. And, and I was like, fuck. And, I, and so then I just like, like, I remember at a certain point, a girlfriend of mine, it was like, do you ever imagine a, a, a time when you don't stop doing drugs? I was like, no. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is like, next. <laughs> this is a conscious choice, man. Yeah. This is like that scene in, um, in Say Anything where, yeah. where he's like, he's talking about like how his, uh, 
how his girlfriend broke up with him and all the all those guys are like dude man you just gotta you know what you gotta do you gotta screw her and forget that and then he's like wait if you know so much about women what are you doing here at a gas and sit at midnight right with no chicks mm. i was like choice man choice i was like choice man I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be doing drugs forever i just ended up being like i slowly realized that if i wanted to be if i wanted anything that i wanted this was what was holding me back mm. you know mm-hmm. so i just got serious like a friend of mine asked me that he's like what how did you get so successful i was like i don't know i just flipped a switch and i got serious so i started going to na yeah and so um, all right na first day it, it, just like the movie hey guys my name's devin and um, and you yeah, have to first first three weeks of sitting in the back thinking you're too cool for school. Yeah, yeah, and, okay, and I yeah. Was trying to, I was trying to get in this girl's pants. She was tattooed from neck to <laughs> to everything. So from the video and, girl to the girl, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like I bartended with this girl, and she was like, "You know, you ever think about going to NA with NA? You should come with me. It's kind of cool." Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the hot girl, by the way. She's hot. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. you're like. Oh, just like the video girl. If I go to an age, she might. I yeah, might yeah. get late. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, but thank her. I don't even remember her name, but yeah. she saved my life. Wow! Because Shout I sat there you. for like a week, two, three weeks, just cool sitting guy. in the back, being like, <sighs> "You must have heard know. a story that changed it." Was it like enough people sharing that you were like, you kinda... "It was me sharing." Mm-hmm. Somebody asked me if I wanted to share. They would ask you every week, and, and you'd always go, "Nah," and then nah. I was like, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm like, I'm just realizing that I've lost everything and everything I've lost has been my fault. Mm-hmm. And it's because of, you know, it's it's not my fault. It's the drugs. But the drugs, I do the drugs. And I, and I don't even remember exactly how I told the story, but it was just like all over the place. And they were all like, yes. Dang, yeah, that's accountability. Yeah, but then everybody in the room was like, yup, yup. And all of a sudden, I realized that they had all been in the same place as me. Yeah. And they yeah. had somehow gotten to this place where they could, like, be with it. And th- what I was looking for was a way to, a way to live with drugs and continue being yeah, with drugs. Productive, dr- yeah, productive, you know. Yeah. And what I discovered is there ain't no way. There, yeah. Like, the thing about an alcoholic or a drug addict is that it is an unfair world and I cannot do drugs. I cannot drink mm-hmm. and not want the next 25 drinks. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not like I can't stop. It's like, I want a hundred drinks. I want to drink the entire bottle. Yeah. Like you have like a sip of whiskey and you're like, this is delicious. I'm like, fantastic. I'll take the entire bottle. Right. Sir, and we should probably order like 12, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but realizing that was a journey to get to that, that AA helped me to get to. Yeah. And um, so did you have um, a big brother or sister or some, you know, like, isn't that how it works? Kind of you get like a. Yeah, I had like three or four sponsors. I sponsors, I, yeah. I pissed off like yeah. four <laughs> of them. Like I pissed them all off because I was always like, sure, I'm not high. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> and they're just like, dude, I I know that you're high right now. You've got white crap all over your nose. No, and you're going like, to you're going to flip me. Yeah. If you like, keep this up. Yeah, like. And so, like, I lost sponsors, but they, but it took, it took multiple dips in the pond until I got wet. And then, uh, have you ever been a sponsor to somebody? Um, I have not. I do my service in a different way. Okay. Um, Okay. The, I do my, so part of AA is service, Mm -hmm. right? 
and I do my service through helping underrepresented uh, founders create businesses. Okay. And okay. that's my um, that's that, and I and yeah, that's my niche. That's that's how I give back. That's how I I could do this for anybody. I could do it for people with crap tons of money. I do it for people who no. really need it. So uh, when you say that. Um, I like how you you brought that like there's more than being a sponsor to mm. do that like how I would like um parallel that is I remember being in school and we had um a blackout like where we were doing a walkout just do you know in the college and it was similar to like the Black Lives Matter movement but it was like a position where I was like dang I have to pass this final to graduate like I can't mm. walk out mm -hmm. but like so Rather than walking out of that class, I, I stayed and took the final, but I put my service through the radio and bringing attention to it. I was like, but it, it, it would take me a while to find peace in that because it's like, oh, you're yeah. not helping as a sponsor? But it's like, yeah. no, I'm helping in this way, you know? Yeah. But I'm still for the movement. So I like how you're like, my niche is I can help. And, and it goes a bit further than just saying, hey, don't drink, buddy, but uh, keeping someone's mind, you know, capacity to, you know, generational wealth. You know what I mean? Well, I find it's in it. I find there's it's addiction mm -hmm. right and what i help people to overcome is their addiction to a worldview where they can't be successful okay where they don't belong mm. where um they are only worth that job at starbucks right that's the only value they can provide to the world where they don't have a sense of agency over the major problems in the world and the only way they can make changes to scream as loud as they can mm-hmm that's I, I operate in a karmic economy. Okay. I do solids for you. Mm -hmm. I do a solid for you just because I'm not expecting anything from you. Mm -hmm. I want you, and I tell every single student I work with, do you feel like you owe me? And they're all like, yeah. I'm like, you do. You owe me. You owe me a specific amount. Mm -hmm. And this is how I want you to pay me back. Go find somebody else who needs this and do them what pay, I did for you. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Because mm -hmm. eventually, like in a purely Machiavellian way, it eventually comes back to me. Mm -hmm. I found that by investing in a karmic economy, my personal capitalistic economy raises mm -hmm. based off of because the people I want to be with are the people who will help you. Yeah. You know, and you know, you just help people, you do solids. I've got people I got people who venture capitalists, major venture capitalists. Like I call them up and I'm like, hey, I want to interview you. And like, anything you want, dude. Hey, so. And it's like, what? How did I get to that place? And so because you do solids for people, man. When you say that, that karmalistic, I like how you, what was it, caramel? Karmic, karmic economy, like, karmic, like karma. Yeah, karma. I like that. I like that term right there. Um, would you say, because uh, I would say being younger, I was in denial, you know, but uh, who you hang out with affects, like, kind of your circle. Like, so when you're hanging out with other people, business-minded or in that in that i want to do good and keep pushing that good it help rather than hanging at the church you know what i'm saying at the mm -hmm. club like uh, would you say that or would you say you you know because i feel you can be like i'm my own person so even though i'm mm -hmm. hanging with people here at the church i'm doing my thing and they do their thing but eventually don't you kind of bleed into what they're doing or so you well find here's, here's the thing i found is that you're the average of the somebody much wiser than me said you're the average of the five people you hang out with that oh okay okay but, <laughs> but here's the thing is you're the average of the five people so if you hang out with five other five rich dudes you will naturally get richer mm -hmm. if you hang out with five wise dudes you will get naturally wiser mm -hmm. if you hang out with five 
kind dudes, you'll get naturally kinder because that's a society that you're in. Hey, hold up. I'm about to go find five NBA players and get taller, <laughs> five football players and get thicker. <laughs> no. no, but here's the thing is that yeah. on the flip side, and this is why I, I had a pause when you said if I go to church, just going to church doesn't make you kind. Mm, that's it doesn't right. make you wise. I've met some of the kindest, wisest people at church. I've also met some of the nastiest yeah. people at church. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to, you know, beg God for forgiveness for being a nasty person. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to hang out with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, on the flip side, I always look if I'm if I'm the smartest person in the room, I run. From yeah, that right. Room. Yeah. I want to be the dumbest person in that room and, and intake because then, yeah, all of their knowledge flows into me. If nature abhors a vacuum. I want to be the least kind person in the room. I want to be the poorest person in the room, mm -hmm. you know, um, but on the flip side, I don't want to just hang out with a with a bunch of rich dudes who are all like. I'm, I'm rich. <laughs> yeah, I'm rich. I run. I run a, Do you a know who payday I loan business. My, my and dad owns two Costco's. Yeah, and it's like, you know, like I hang out with. You're rich. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hang out with people who are like, um, not that I hang out with them on a regular basis, but one of my mentors um, is a guy who started first round capital, mm -hmm. and they invested in Uber. Mm -hmm. And this guy went to City College of New York. He his family was uh, were immigrants. And he ended up getting a PhD in biochem and he started a venture capital firm and he started invest. Mm -hmm. He invests all his money in underfound, underfunded uh, founders. Mm, right? He start he he uh, he started um, dorm room fund to make sure college kids can get uh, their first investment. Mm -hmm. He funded my first startup accelerator. Nice. Uh, Howard Morgan. Where, and he uh, is amazing. And you would never know it. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't show it to people. I love that. He is so wealthy that he could buy the city of New York if he wanted and to. And that's, right? that's pure right there because the winds are like, hey, look what I did. I did this for that whole. You know, it, it comes off the tongue wrong when you got to state it. But when someone's yeah. like, wait, aren't you the guy that? And you're like, oh, please. You know, uh, you're the one that say you, 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 you got my family. Da, 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 yeah, like, yeah, uh, and like, it's like it comes off so cool when someone says I, it for you yeah i read somewhere i read somewhere that if you um if you give some somebody something and nobody knows about it it's charity mm -hmm. if you give somebody something and, and everybody knows about it it's just pr yeah public mm -hmm. you know it's just public relations you're just you're just marketing yourself i'm a good person look i give to the xyz i've even seen that in pop culture like when celebrities like i'm the one that comes to mind is when macklemore like mm -hmm. apologize like like post-it screenshots are going, hey, Kendrick, you should have had this Grammy. This should have been yours. Like, That's cool if you said it between you and Kendrick, but the fact you got a screenshot and throw it yeah. on your gram for us to like and go, look, you're a good guy. Yeah, like, you like, thought he deserved mm. it. It's like it comes off. Exactly. Even Yeah, so, mm. man. All right, so now we're talking about these businesses. Like, So, I, I mean, right away, <laughs> I'm going to kind of take a little tangent, but have you ever got into, I was thinking of, the businesses like Cutco Knives or Amway or those, you know, mm. oh, you find six people, you find six people. We're all, yeah. we're all rich. Like, I, I've been in that as a senior, and I was like, I'm about to be financially free in six months. And then I was like, you know what? You guys actually inspired me to put this into my own self instead of, but what are your thoughts on that? Because I always tell people, if you have no passion, maybe your passion isn't, you know, podcasting or mm -hmm. helping other people start businesses. Um Maybe your passion is just money. I say go for it. I don't yeah. talk down on that, but that grind is definitely, I don't know. It's kind of misleading for me to think like we're all on equal terms. Yeah. 
Well, the the thing is, is that um, anybody who knows about business knows that the only people really making money from Amway are the heads of Amway. Right. Because right. they go, you, you, when you get your, I'm going to help you get 600 yeah. people under you too. <laughs> yeah, there's an acronym and I always screw it up, but it's it was it's really valuable when I always teach to my students, which is just make sure your business makes sense. Okay. You're in control of how you make your money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your customer needs it. I'm forgetting what the E is, but the, your customer needs it. Um, you are not time bound based off how much money you make. Okay. So like you're not paying a hundred, being paid a hundred dollars an hour. You only got 40 hours a week to work. Other than that, you can't make any more money than that. That's time bound. Mm-hmm. Like it's not time bound. Got you. And, I like that. um, I can't remember what the S is. So I'm forgetting the E and the S, but the, Oh, um, it's not, uh, it's a space. I think it's not physically located, mm-hmm. but the point is, is that like an Amway, you're not in control of the money you make. No. Right. Um, and the same thing with being a YouTube, uh, per, uh, YouTube uh, or an Instagram uh, yeah. uh, influencer, you're not in control of your money. They can change that algorithm in a second. Look at all, all these YouTube, the YouTube apocalypse that happened like a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. All these people had like full businesses where they were pulling in like sixty to one hundred twenty, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and they were building a whole business around it. And then all of a sudden, YouTube says, "You know what? Strategically, we're going to go a different direction." We're going to change the algorithm and their whole business got decimated. Wow. And it's like, I I found in that I, you really have to believe in what you're, you're, you're building and what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, I, I, I was in a, I was, I was at a, a, a networking event and I'm talking to a bunch of salespeople and somebody's like, I can sell ice to Eskimos. Like salespeople are always full of bravado, and I used to, I used to be in sales, and I was like, I don't want to sell ice to Eskimos. And they all just looked at me like I just been like, I like to fart in a cup. Like they yeah. were just like, what? Wait a minute, who are you? What? Who are and you? Who are you? Wait and who invited you here? And I'm like, you know what I want to do? I want to sell an Eskimo, a rifle and a heating pad, yeah. and have him tell all of his friends about this dude who's got rifles and heating pads i don't want to be the guy that he tells all his friends to stay away from him because he he uh he faked him into buying ice even those ice right outside his front door right and they just looked at me like dude but you could make so much money if yeah. you if you could sell them whatever the hell they wanted mm-hmm. whatever the hell you wanted and i'm like i don't i, I want to find the right customer and sell them the right thing and because I believe in what I'm selling. I care about it. I had a friend of mine uh, who's just getting ready to sell his business. He's doing telehealth. Mm-hmm. And he asked me if I wanted to come in as his chief marketing officer. And I said, well, you know, marketing was me 10 years ago. And yeah. B, I don't care about the problem you're solving. Yeah. And he's like. That's very important. Yeah. He's like, who cares about. Dude, I'm going to sell this business. You're going to be a multimillionaire. I'm like. I'm going to have to do this for five years and I'm going to hate myself for five years doing this. Yeah. And then I'm not going to be any good at it. And you're going to be like, we have to separate ways. And then I'm going to lose you as a friend. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Dang. Uh, Keep it okay. Real. Oh, okay. Like he never heard anybody say that. And I'm just like, dude, what is like my problem? The thing that gets me up in the morning is that I truly believe the engineer of entrepreneurship can undo most of the harm in this world. Yeah. If focused in the right way, mm-hmm. capitalism focused in the right way, not this like 
like off the chain capitalism where you know one percent of the world has all the money mm -hmm. but capitalism where you have a small business of 10 people doing the work of 10,000 people with automation and really producing fantastic handbags yeah. fantastic you know uh uh jackets fantastic uh, whatever you know whatever it might be you mm -hmm. know like i i interviewed the the guy the head of um of industry of style mm -hmm. and he's got a fantastic business what he basically does is they use this next gen fabric and they have 3d knitters okay so they can uh, produce uh, product on demand okay and he is he knows more about retail than you and I will ever learn okay he's forgotten more about it and he's but he his love is fashion and his love is these new fabrics and so he that, realized cut and sew is done in America. Yeah. Cut and sew has gone everywhere else. Yeah. Cut and sew is the type of manufacturing where you cut the fabric and you sew it. Okay. So he's doing advanced manufacturing, 3D knitting. Almost 3D printing type. Yeah. He's 3D printing clothes. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. But when you but yeah, when you have the the uh, the gas of passion behind you, you you know, it's like when you show up, you come up with new things. Like you said, if you if you're dreading it you're mm -hmm. not bringing it's like the guy on the basketball team or whatever team you're on mm -hmm. and you guys are down a few points and there's you know a few minutes left and he's just <sighs> yeah like yeah. you know you don't want you don't want that guy on the team <laughs> <laughs> good girl good girl um you know there's there's this there's this thing i know i know it's it's insane yes <laughs> This should be the starting, starting, uh, the the starting refrain to a uh, to uh, yeah. an NWA album. Uh, dogs howling and the cops driving by. Um, but okay, so the, so I did consulting for a while, Big Five Consulting, and we did what's called people and performance consulting. People who knew more about it than I did. This woman was talking about this uh, in any project, you can graph the productivity into four into four phases forming storming norming and performing forming you're at about a on a scale of three a 10 you're about a, th a three or a four and then something happens your productivity dips into this valley mm -hmm. and you have no self there's there's nothing telling you that this is a good idea and this is where most projects or companies fail is you is that you're at this dip of productivity where you're not being reinforced that it's a good idea and then you finally get your way back up and you start norming and then you start performing. Mm -hmm. An investor is going to give you money at that forming stage. Yeah. And they're looking to see whether you can get across the valley of the shadow of death, which is that storming valley. Okay. And the well, only way you can do that is if you give a crap. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's just about the money, when you're not making any money, when everybody is telling you this is an awful idea. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, Facebook's got a job for you. Peace out, man. I'm going to take the Facebook job. Yeah. But if I care about it, like I got offered a job at Facebook and I'm making no money. Like the COVID kicked me in the teeth. I lost all of my funders. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I love this. I want to do this. And I said, thank you, but no thank you. And I continued doing it. And now I'm shortlisted for the Brooklyn Navy Yard uh, un underrepresented incubator. Yeah. I'm, uh, I just brought a fundraiser on to fund my, my expansion into Texas mm -hmm. for Junto Bot uh, programs all across um, uh, like small regional towns in, in Texas. Okay. 
And so, so um, for what word of advice would you give for people looking for funding, right? Like, mm-hmm. would you say the most important part is having that pitch, you know, like in far as networking, knowing no, how to no, no, say no, that's, that's old. That's so here's the thing is that uh, I'm sorry. No, I'll tell ahead. you what, I'll give you the, I'll give you the advice my grandma gave. Life is unfair. Okay. All right. So the, in, in two thousands, it was like, let me draw something on a napkin and people were like, dude, that's cool. I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. Then it went from that to, I'm making no money, mm-hmm. but we've got a hundred thousand people coming to our website. Mm-hmm. Now, nah, dude, you've got to be making recurring revenue. You got to figure it out. You you have to have business product fit, and you need to have fixed it. Now, okay. I work with underrepresented founders, and here's if if for those listeners who are unaware, there are people who don't give a crap about you. Yeah, facts. And they, facts, and they Fendi. put you into that box of you're not going to succeed. Mm. Right now, what? So now, what? Now, going back to you, need to care about the problem. If you care about the problem, you want to solve this problem. You want to make money doing it. Hey, guess what? Go make money doing it. Mm-hmm. Bootstrap yourself. Find your customer. Right. Find out who your customer is. Figure out what they want and need. Build it and sell it to them once. Okay. Then do that ten thousand times. Okay. All right. 10,000 hours. Ten th- then once you've sold it 10,000 times, then decide whether it's worth it for you to go to these people and beg for scraps off their table. Okay. Because then they'll listen to you. Because they got to know what it. you can offer, right? That's always yeah. going to be the question. Hey, can I get some money? All right. Sure, but wh- yeah. why? Because there's there's 100 other people who are like, I got this idea, and if you give me money, I can build it. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then, then you're a charity case. Yeah. Right? Right. Then- then they're they're like, well, do I give ten thousand dollars to these these people because I feel really bad that I'm white and I went to an Ivy League, so maybe I'll give them ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Versus, you know, I'm something like Arlen Ham- Hamilton from Backstage Capital. She just raised five million dollars mm. for her VC fund for funding underrepresented founders. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, you know, she's doing a really cool thing, but she brings the returns. She's been doing this for ten years. Mm-hmm. She's killing it. You know, I mean, Silicon Harlem, Clayton Banks in Silicon Harlem has been howling at the moon for 20 years that we need broadband. Pen- we need broadband in inner cities, mm-hmm. that it is unfair for kids, uh, for kids in Harlem and the Bronx and the bad areas of Queens and Brooklyn who don't get can't don't have access to Internet. And meanwhile, that's where all the jobs are. That's where all the training is. That's where mm-hmm. all the job postings are. That's where all the information is, and they don't even have that. Yeah, they can't. He's can. been howling at the moon for 20 years. Well, lo and behold, now all of a sudden, they're like, ooh, we need to do broadband. Who are they looking for? Clayton Banks. Mm. He's, been, he's been on the top 50 list of, of most important people in the New York City scene for about 10 years, but nobody wanted to give him nothing. Yeah. Now, they're giving it to him, mm-hmm. right? And they're, mm-hmm. they're knocking at his door. But you got to make it happen because nobody's going to give you a break. And if you really want to do it, do it. That's it. You know, sell it. You know, you got to systematize your hustle and figure out how to monetize it and make money at it. And do it. All right, right there. Like, what I want to leave you guys with is this right here. If you really want to do it, well said, do it. So I feel a lot of times people are waiting for the perfect opportunity. Well, I need something that works. But it's like start it and work as you go would you say is the way to do it and and learn in the process then thinking let me get all the pieces 
you know, limp, you know, play basketball with whatever shoes or whatever you got now. You don't have to worry to get the whole Jordan fit, the sleeve, the the headband, you know, the ankle break, like the whole thing to go. Now but I'm sometimes ready to you play. don't even need that. I yeah, mean, I think the thing is, is that you got to figure out an optimization cycle where you're looking at. Mm-hmm. I came with the hypothesis that I was a superstar and I was full of shit here, here, here and here. Yeah, I can't afford to plug all those gaps, but this week I'll plug this gap. Mm-hmm. All right, this week I want to start a podcast. All right. Um, well, here's the thing: is I don't have a, I have a laptop, but I don't have a microphone. All I have is my head, my 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 earphones. Yeah. Okay, so you use that, and then you get that on, and then you're like, okay, so what's the next thing? I'm gonna get a microphone. Mm-hmm. What's the next thing? I need to learn how to use the freaking mixing equipment so that all these ums and ahs and the the uh, sirens going by. I can cut out. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Now I've got it. It sounds great. But all the people I'm interviewing are boring as shit. All mm-hmm. right. So go find some cool people. Right. All right. Well, great. You know, I got some cool people, but I'm not getting anybody to listen. All right. Well, either marketing, maybe ba- or- marketing or you start interviewing people who have built in audiences mm-hmm. or you start plugging that gap. Okay. So now I've got a crap, crap ton of people listening to me, but I'm dude, my landlord's calling me. He's like, dude, I got this thing called eviction court. I'm really happy to meet you down there. Right. All right. So how do you make money? So then you start talking to sponsors, right? So you just start cold calling people and be like, hey, I've got this podcast with 10,000 people who watch it or listen to it. I would love to promote your product, mm. you know, for, you know, a grand. Okay. Right. Every episode. Every episode. Uh, and they and they say, great. Right. And then, you know, then you then you call the next person 1500 they say 1500 then you get into a bidding war you bring it up right Mm -hmm. and then you're like you know what i don't have time for this shit i'm gonna call it i'm gonna get an agent and the agent will get all of the uh sponsors for me right and then you got an agent and then you start you know you start talking about deals like joe rogan yeah right it's bit by bit by bit joe rogan didn't start off and be like you know what i'm gonna have 10 million people follow me tomorrow he just had the passion yeah he was like a stepfather to america for yeah. a minute and next thing you know youtube pop yeah. and i love how you broke that down for them step by step from raw headphones to the equipment to the market to who your your content that that's beautiful mm-hmm. right there so you know you apply that to whatever your passion may be maybe it's tires maybe it's blow torching like whatever it may be it doesn't have to be something that's so surface like level like lawyer doctor you know, because there's so many passions. The guy who made the bottle cap is thriving, you know, yeah. so small, but necessary. And like you said, it always comes down to what does the world need and what can you provide? Like if they yeah. need it and, and how much will they pay you for it? That's yeah. the big that's the glass ceiling. I see every one of my startup founders mm-hmm. going from promise to execution. So, I promise you this is going to be amazing business. All right. So execute on it. All right. So I built the product. Look, the product does what I said. That's fantastic. Now sell it. Hmm. No, no, just give me money. And then like, that's how I make money, right? Like, no, that's not how you make, you don't make money from investors. Investors are the gasoline that gets poured on the fire you already built. Yeah. Go out and sell, call people, call a thousand people. I guarantee you at least one of them dumb enough to do business with you. All right. And then make them the smartest person in the room because you provide the service because they are your best friend. They're your lover. They're your wife. They're your mom. They're your dad. They are your your life because they're giving you money for you to do your passion. Yes. sir. All right. And then replicate that a thousand times. Bam. That's it. Words from D. Yo. And with that, 
man, thank you. Thank you for that. Like, we got to pound that. <laughs> yeah, those bars. We're going to actually uh, slide into our local to global. There are people who are walking the walk and they're in the trenches doing it. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it. And one of the organizations that I've come across that I just am completely friggin' in love with is an organization called Camelback Ventures. Okay. Now, Aaron Walker started this uh, a couple of years ago, and they are looking to support underrepresented founders, specifically African-American founders. Okay. Uh, specifically female founders of color. Yes. Uh, w- you know, what? what's interesting is that 22% of founders are women. Mm-hmm. Uh, 7% of founders are African-American, mm-hmm. but it's something like 2% when you get that intersectionality of identity between women and African-American. Mm-hmm. When you get into intersectionality, LGBTQ and Hispanic, mm-hmm. um, Muslim and woman, like all of a sudden those numbers just drop through the yeah. floor. It's like a double, sh- it's like a double shotgun. Yeah. You know, and um, Aaron supports those founders in creating business actual businesses Mm -hmm. which are going to have impact in a profitable way yes um and he does it in a really creative way Mm -hmm. which i just love i was uh i was on a mentor panel with some of his startups and i'm just looking at all of these mentors this is right when COVID hit and he was trying to figure out how to support his cohort because like he couldn't meet in person nobody was funding anything Mm -hmm. all these people all their funding dried up and they were three weeks away from going out of business. We're all trying to figure out how to support them. And I'm looking at the businesses that he's funding. And, you know, there's a woman who's doing mobile assessments for e-learning for inner city kids. Yeah. There's a guy who's doing an AR, uh, AR VR, uh, app so that, um, well, wait, why are there all these, this was before the whole, um, why do we have all these civil war hero statues? Mm -hmm. Right. He was like, well, you know what? We can wait for people to change this or we can just change it immediately. Right in this place, this person did this. And from an AR perspective, put all the different heroes. Yeah. So he, you can have African-American history across the world, yeah. wherever you go, and understand it from an African-American perspective. Augmented reality. Yeah, from an augment. So it's like, but where's the money in that? And he's like, you know, so he's like, he's so speculative and he's so far out in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing. And they have this tagline, which I just absolutely love. And I wish I'd thought of it. And I wish I could, mm. I wish I was mean enough to steal it, but I'm not. And he's like, Camelback Ventures has, is they're ruthless for good ruthless uh, for good. every day we see ruthlessness in action individuals and systems who fiercely work to empower themselves to the detriment of communities around the world imagine though what would happen if we took that same energy that same aggressiveness and used it for doing something good in the world i love that and, yeah Please. i just love that yeah i just uh, i love his team i love the passion and the love they bring to this. I love every single one of the startups that come out of his program. Yes, sir. Uh, and if you're in the New Orleans area, check them out. Check them out. Hey, I love that right there. With that power, I mean, just I'm going to segue into mine right here. Deep X Media. Now, this cat here, young cat, Cameron Dixon. Uh, he's based out of the TX. And uh, let's just say all of his shots are shot with Sony A6400. That's an A6400. Now, all I know is that's a nice camera. 
That's all I can tell you. <laughs> now, Deep X Media, I asked him, I said, where'd that come from? He said, well, you know, my, my, my video game name used to be Deep X, and then my brother ticked out my gamer tag, and then I was like, well, it was like Deep uh, number, like a Deep and a number. Then he changed it to Deep X, like to insert, and then I was like, whoa, that's kind of deep. Like, you know, X people think of Malcolm X, and then I know like the X is like an insert, you know, like, you know, the X is a, a placement. So uh, I looked at his work and it's a lot. He works a lot with oranges and blues in his photography and he has really great rates. So I'll have his page tapped in, but uh, it's mostly the vision. So when you come to photography, it's all about the vision. Who's getting that wedding for you? Who's getting that that party? You know, that's really where I got into when we're throwing events. I mean, uh, did you were you having videographers at your events to make it look epic to like I know YouTube wasn't prominent then but now yeah, it's no, like thank God there was no social media yeah. I, I would not probably be able to walk down the street <laughs> if uh, we all talk about that like oh God thank God there's no social there was no there was no that's why cell the 90s phone cameras is so dude we had Nokia candy bar phones pixels <laughs> pixels yes, yes. <laughs> and that was fantastic because it was pixelated enough that they can't prove it's you yeah <laughs> yeah now it's you're in 4k buddy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so uh on that i'm gonna slide into my depop of the week so uh let me pull this out right here one moment y'all there we go so uh my depop of the week uh this one you know let's get this person some followers uh they reached out to the pod they were listening this is cinnamon madonna kind of suiting for this episode we kind of mentioned madonna so on this depop it's uh let's get the tag it's the luxury for me so i'm gonna say it one more time because i did that a little too too classy it's the luxury for me sweetie okay a hundred percent authentic items fast shipping no returns and exchanges so when i look at their page right away again i'm all about the simplicity but i see they got the fendi frames mm -hmm. you know so right there it is the luxury and it is very vintage and then you know the plain black it looks like kappa kappa joggers so when you look on their page super simplistic white uh it looks like they're doing a lot with the flat lays so uh hopefully i just see a little bit more evolution i'm gonna keep it g but nonetheless you showing love to the pod you get love so check them out on the depop and uh we're gonna give you some closing statements of positivity so uh what uh what do you want to leave for the listeners or people out there just like uh something to get them by this next coming week coming up it's monday when they're mm. gonna check this out like uh just something that you got going on just some you know i'm gonna leave you with with this is that this has been a challenging year and a half for everybody mm -hmm. and the one positive thing out of that is it's been a challenging year for everybody and everybody is struggling with the i thought this was going to be a month Mm -hmm. it's been a year i've put on 25 pounds and none of it in the right place <laughs> you know uh i'm not sure whether i'm gonna have a job or an apartment or maybe i don't have a job or an apartment but we're all in the same place and you can do it just one day at a time one day at a time and yeah. you can make it happen and be kind to each other because we're all in the same place i find people are shorter with me they don't return my phone calls they're mm -hmm. meaner on the phone but you just got to think they're going through it they're going through something yeah so be kind to each other because the thing is is that 
I'll tell you right now, I've lost all social graces. I have no ability to talk to people anymore. When I met you, I was like, hi, hi, hi. And I'm, Human. I'm shocked that you didn't run away crying. Yeah. You know, and it's like we're all in that place. And it's just like, just be aware. We're shaking off the cobwebs. It's going to take us a bit of time to become human again. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Hey, hey, with that becoming human to stay human, you know, you got to stay healthy. Right. So this week, I'm going to continue to tell you what you need to do. Pick up a book. You know, read a few pages, read a minute, read two. Hopefully it's interesting. If not, find another one, just like you watch on all these Netflix shows. And uh, when you fold your clothes, listen, to, I'm, I'm about to do this. Check in NPR, NPR, something, mm-hmm. right? I need to, we just need some more knowledge. Uh, sometimes we get caught up in just our, in our pop culture or in our sports or in our segment. So open your mind, uh, read a book, fold your clothes, take care of your hygiene. Drink water, exfoliate, sleep well, all right? <laughs> sleep real good. Sleep is like gold these days, I'll tell you that. Uh, I used to avoid nap time. It used to be a punishment in <laughs> kindergarten or why are you forcing me to sleep? And then after you get past 25, you're, you're like, how come well, we need to advocate or get this legislation on for nap times at the workplace? <laughs> you know, we need cots here or something. So. I actually had somebody uh, <laughs> pitch a startup to me for sleeping pods, for napping pods. Yeah. And I was like, this is the most entitled person I think I've ever met in my life. <laughs> like, you really, you think that, like, everybody needs nap pods, huh? It's oh. like, yeah, they're going to be, they're, they're only $20,000 a pod. I'm like, only. what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, have you ever heard of, like, putting your head on your arm? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? I'll sleep anywhere. He ended up selling that business. Like, there's po- he's got those nap pods all over Google. Wow. Like, I completely screwed up on that one. Amended. Like, yeah, like, hey, and if that's not an example right there for the listeners, come with your ideas strong, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you, yeah. you're going to have people go, right. Well, but here's the thing is that if it's stupid, if it sounds stupid, then nobody else is going to do it. Mm. And you got to figure out, you can take crazy and bring it down to realistic. Mm-hmm. You can't take realistic and bring it up to crazy enough to be different yeah. and cool enough. You. Hey, you know, and that's full circle to that outfit that got you in the game. <laughs> exactly. That confidence, you and, know, and when in doubt, just wear some coverage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, you have just been soon. And we're going to slide out to some flavor that I think you should listen to. Good night. As a kite by then I miss the earth so much I miss my wife It's lonely out in space On such a timeless flight
find a place to raise your kids In fact, it's cold as hell And there's no one there to raise them If you did I think it's gonna be a long, long time 